Good morning. If you uh, received a newsletter as you came in, you might have seen in the middle as a, uh, an outline. If you haven't uh, got one, maybe the, the person next to you can share with that. I haven't uh, had the training to, to do what Pastor Jeff does and uh, put it up here and I'm sure I would forget and it would distract me. So I'll leave it like it is with you. Very thankful for Jordan leading us in the way that he has concerning our God and the attributes that that Jordan has brought out. This morning we're going to continue to look at the attributes of God. But before I do, I once again want to explain why it is that I'm, I'm doing this. Why look at the attributes of God? And the best way I can explain it at the moment is to refer to our Wednesday night Bible study. Our group is up to chapter 3 in the book of Exodus. During our study this week, uh, at verse 14, God gave himself and gives himself what I consider to be one of the most profound descriptions of himself in in the scriptures, in the ancient words. It's so profound that it just blows me away. Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. You can just listen or it's only one verse, maybe just listen. God said to Moses, because Moses was saying, what if they ask me who you are? You'll find in chapter 3 and 4 that Moses makes a lot of excuses and this was one of them. What if, what if they ask me who you are? Who's sending me? And God said to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. Nothing else needs to be said about God. I am. And even though God did tell Moses and tells us that he is the great I am, and really there needs no other explanation. I am who I am. I'm self-existent, I'm eternal, I am. There is nothing else. But he just didn't leave us with that. He didn't leave us just with the revelation of his name because all the way through the ancient texts or the ancient words as we've just sung, all the way through scripture, he has chosen to reveal himself through his attributes so we can expand our thinking on who God really is. He just didn't leave us with, I am who I am. He has now shown us in the completed canon of Scripture who he is. He's revealed himself to us. And what encouraged me in our Bible study that I actually am sharing God's attributes with with you is something that Pete said. He said that he knows many people who say that they believe God is like this. Now Pete, as you get to know him, he's an apologist. He's He's always on blogs. He's always trying to help people to see the reality of God. And people he talks to and blogs with says, I think God is like this and I believe God is like that. And Pete's answer to these people is, it's not what you believe God to be that makes God God. It's what the scripture says that makes God who he is. You see, with our, if we use our finite minds to try and discover who God is, 
If we go around saying, I think God is like this because I, I understand it this way, if that's how we think, then we're not going to get it right. We need to look what the Scripture says who God is. If we just try and use our finite minds to discover who God is, then God is just going to be a bigger version of us. He's just going to be what people call, unfortunately, the big guy in the sky. Because they try and fit God into what we can believe. You know, I don't want a God of the universe to be like me. I don't want a God of the universe that thinks like I do. I don't want to put God in a box that I think I can fully understand him. God cannot be put in a box. He is God, the great I am. So rather than relying on who we perceive God to be, my desire is to study the scriptures to find out who he has revealed himself to be. And once he has revealed himself to be who he is, then we trust that and believe that, even though there are times I will not understand. My finite mind, my finite brain will not understand the things that God is doing, but by faith we believe. So instead of trying to change God into something we can understand and therefore comfortable with, we need to study the scriptures and understand how he has revealed himself to us and believe that. And then as we get to understand God better and understand how he has revealed himself to us, you and I will then be able to begin to have great confidence in the knowledge that what's happening in our life is not arbitrary. We'll have great confidence to know that life is being coordinated by a powerful and magnificent God. And as we look at the scriptures, we can start to understand that. So far in our attributes of God's study, we've seen that God says, I am who I am. I am the sovereign God of the universe. We looked at that. Everything is under my control. Again, I don't always understand that, but I believe it. He says, I am the omnipresent God. I am with you always. We looked at where he said, I am the omniscient God. I know all things. I know things that were past, present, but more importantly for us, I know the future for you. We also looked where God said, I am the omnipotent God. I have the power to do anything I choose. And so this morning we're going to look at two more attributes of God. Two that I've put together because they are opposite. So if you've ever been confused about this, then hopefully it'll be all right. These are two attributes that are actually the opposite of each other. Work that one out with your finite mind. What we're going to see this morning is that God is beyond us. He's independent of us. But at the same time, he has made himself near to us. So he's afar and he's near. Two theological words that describe these attributes, the 
If you have your sheets, you'll see the first one is transcendence and the other is imminence. Don't get caught up in the words, they're just simply theological words. We'll look at them. We'll look at transcendence. I had a bit of help from R.C. Sproul in this. He tells, this is what he writes about transcendence. Transcendence means literally to climb across. It is defined as exceeding the usual limits. When we speak of the transcendence of God, we are talking about that sense in which God is above and beyond us. He is higher than the world. He has absolute power over the world. The world has no power over him. Transcendence describes God in his consuming majesty, his exalted loftiness. He is an infinite cut above everything else. Now that was R.C. Sproul, but we also can go to the scriptures. Why don't you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40? Because Isaiah was pointing to God's transcendence when he wrote a lot of chapter 40. You can turn with me there, Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to be reading a few verses. Jordan has already mentioned the fact that Isaiah saw God and he was far above him in Isaiah chapter 6 and fell as well as John. Well, here's the reason why. Let's start Isaiah 40 40, verse 18. And he starts off and, and writes, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Down to verse 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, by the way that Lord is Yahweh or I am, the everlasting God, the I am, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. And if you'd like to turn over to chapter 55, God gives his own testimony about about how far above us he is. Isaiah 55 verse 8. And I have memorised this verse because I call upon it a lot. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. I am who I am. And all throughout the Bible we read verses like that. And what they've done is they're designed to remind us that God is apart from us. He is over us. 
He is above us. He is above what we can know and experience. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers as he sits on the found, above the foundations of the earth. Now there are many reasons for God's transcendency. Many reasons why his ways are not our ways. I've noted just four of them on your sheets. I'll quickly go through them. First, Jesus tells us, so Jesus himself tells us that God is spirit in John 4.24 and that's why his ways are higher than our ways. John 4.24 says God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, God is not limited by space and time. He's not bound by a body. We're created in God's image, we're told that. We're fashioned according to his plan, we're told that. We have characteristics that reflect some of God's own characteristics like intelligence and compassion and and a spiritual essence and love. But God doesn't have hands. He doesn't have feet. He doesn't have a body and he's not confined to a time-space continuum which I mentioned several, several weeks ago. God is not like us. He's not the big guy in the sky. He's not that picture of a a Santa Claus with a, a fluffy beard and white hair. He's not that picture. He is spirit. He's way above us. God is also transcendent or above us and way above us because he is self-existent. I am who I am says it all. James Boyce says God's self-existence means that he is not answerable to us or to anybody. Although he sometimes explains things to us, he does not have to and often does not. God does not have to explain himself to anybody. And we have to believe that and understand that he is self-existent. We don't always understand what God is doing, but we trust him as we learn about him. Just a small example of trusting, and it's probably not even a good one, but I was sitting there having my hair cut with, by Karen yesterday and this thought came to my mind. I don't always understand what God is doing when I trust him and I thought, well, Karen loves me. She's not going to make a mistake on my hair. She won't do anything that to, to intentionally, so I just sat back and enjoyed it. The difference between God and Karen is that Karen sometimes says, oops. <laughs> Whenever I hear, oops, I know something's gone wrong. But God never says, oops. He is self-existent. I don't understand it, but I trust it. Thirdly, we see God's transcendence in the fact that he is self-sufficient. We struggle with this one, his self-sufficiency. We sometimes like to think that God needs us. Oh, I'm, 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 a, I'm a great churchgoer. I give lots of finances. I'm this, I'm that. God needs me. Well, I'm here to tell you that he is so far above us that he does not need us. He is self-sufficient. He has no needs. He depends on no one and that includes you and I. He doesn't need worshippers. He doesn't need helpers. He doesn't need defenders. God is sufficient in and of himself. And before the creation of the world, he was sufficient then before we even got here. Yes, through his wisdom he has chosen us to be conduits of the gospel and to minister 
He has chosen us to do that, yes, but he doesn't need to. A great example of that is in the book of Revelation in the end times when the angels are used to go and tell the gospel, or one angel in particular, to tell the gospel to everybody. I often think, God, why don't you do that now? This is one of the things I don't ask. God, if you just sent an angel, everyone would hear it. Why use us? But he's chosen to use us. But he doesn't need us. We need to get it out of our minds that we are needed by God. And the last one on your sheets, we can see God's transcendence in the fact that he is eternal, which Jordan has mentioned several times this morning. God has always been there. No one made God. He doesn't have a birthday. He has no beginning, no end. He's always been there, always will be there. And a few times, well, Pastor mentioned immutability, which I might do in, in weeks to come. The fact that during that time, has never changed. From the time of Adam through to us is the same God. Even though times have changed, as in Adam didn't drive around in motor cars, God has never changed. That's why this word, these ancient words are applicable today as they were 2,000 years ago. If God, God never changes. Now there are many other illustrations of God's transcendence but I don't want to stick on any more. I think God is spirit, God is self-existent, God is self-sufficient and he is eternal tells us that he is way above us. But what I want to bring out now is the fact of why should we care about that? What's the point? What difference does it make to your life that God is transcendent? Well, I've put down two reasons, one of which has been touched on this morning, but let me give you two reasons why it matters to you and I that God is transcendent, that he is above us. And that is the first one that reminds us and tells us, you make sure you describe God carefully. Jordan opened up with the idea of this. You know, sometimes we make the mistake of trying to draw a picture of God. Inevitably, we'll diminish God. Even though we have our best intentions, we'll diminish him because words will fail us when we try to describe God. As Jordan mentioned, if you read Isaiah 6 and, and um, John, uh, Revelation chapter 4, you see, both these men couldn't describe God. They just fell. <laughs> So we have to be careful. And that's why the scriptures use anthropomorphisms. Now that's just a word that says that even though he is spirit, the scriptures describe him as having a strong arm or eyes that move to and fro. It's the only way that the God has been able to show how we can understand a little bit about God. He doesn't have arms but he has strong arms. Yet we should talk about God. The Jews got to the point where they wouldn't even say Yahweh because they were scared they would say it wrong or, or wouldn't even mention the word. We have to mention God. They didn't mention Yahweh because they were so scared if they said it in the wrong context that they would be zapped or, or something would happen to them. And so even then they, they left the vowels out of Yahweh just to make it so they could at least say it or write it. Pete told me what the word was and I can't remember what it was. It's a long word that in doing that. Sorry? No, oh, I can't remember. It's a long word. It means leaving the vowels out. 
But we do need to say, we can't not say God's word because we, we need to tell others about him. But we have to do it with a reverence that admits God is so much bigger than what we are. I want you to listen to St. Augustine's declaration about God from his confessions. He says, You are ever active, God, yet always at rest. You gather all things to yourself, though you suffer no need. You grieve for wrong, but suffer no pain. You can be angry and yet serene. Your works are varied, but your purpose is one and the same. You welcome those who come to you, though you never lost them. You are never in need, yet are glad to gain. Never covetous, yet you exact a return for your gifts. You release us from our debts, but you lose nothing thereby. You are my God, my life, my holy delight. But is this enough to say of you? Can any man say enough when he speaks of you? Yet woe betide those who are silent about you. We need to be very careful when we describe God, when we talk about God, and not to bring him down to our level, but to always remember his transcendence, how great and awesome he is. The second one I've got on your seats is since God is transcendent, it means we should worship him passionately. God is unique. He's spectacular. I couldn't find words to describe, but I thought spectacular has not been used a lot. We use awesome a lot because it's the first thing that comes to my mind, but he's spectacular. The one before whom we should bow every time we come to worship, every time we bow in prayer, every time we open up his word, it should be with a reverence that comes from the fact that he above, he's above us and beyond us. But I think we've lost some of that sense of wonder and awe. I want us to be painfully honest with ourselves because I think we give more intensity to our play than we do to our worship. I think we're more passionate towards our family than we are towards our Creator. I think we give more priority to our jobs and our hobbies and a truckload of other things than we do developing our relationship with the transcendent God. We've lost our sense of awe. Today more than ever, we're constantly being told that something is new, something is better, something is noteworthy. Everything is sensationalised today. There is so much effort being used to excite us and attract us and persuade us of the common things in life that we've become numb to what is truly awesome. And we need to regain the sense of God's greatness and spectacularity. Yeah, I made up a word. Knowing God should be the joy of life. Knowing God and being with him should be our finest and chief pursuit. I've put down just a, a few dot points to help us in our pursuit. Stop and ask God to help you every time you open his word instead of opening up the word and just reading it. Make times to intentionally sit in silent wonder before him. I wonder if we, the old saying used to be stop and smell the roses. Well, don't smell the roses. Stop and think of the wonder of God. 
when you place your money in the offering bag, remind yourself that you're not giving this to pay bills, you're giving a gift in honour of the God who has changed your life in Christ. Be careful about how you talk about God. Speak about him with respect and honour. Our God is no run-of-the-mill deity. He's the great God of the universe. And so keeping a sense of his transcendence is essential for us to truly honour him and to truly know him the way that he has revealed himself to us. I am who I am. The second word I want to give you this morning is the word imminent. The dictionary defines imminence as existing in and extending into all parts of the created world. And so when we say that God is imminent, we're stating that God is close to us. He is extended into all parts of the created world. God is great and he is far superior and he is different from us. He is transcendent, but he's personal. This is the oxymoron. He desires to be close to us and wants to be known by us. And I can't put the two together, but they're there. He is transcendent. He is far above us. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than ours, but he wants to be close. And that's the astounding thing about the Christian faith. We affirm that God is the creator We affirm that he is supreme. We affirm that he is above us and yet we can sing he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. Let's turn to some biblical declarations of God's imminence. Just two passages you might like to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and we'll read two passages. The other is Acts chapter 17 if you can do two things at once. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. It says there, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, this is Moses speaking, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all the statutes and say surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people for what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him. That is the nation of Israel and they're going to be known for the fact that this great nation, the reason they're so great is because they have God so near to them, to the fact where they may call upon him. And we have that same. In fact, if we go to Acts chapter 17, we'll come into the New Testament and we'll see that very same thing in verse 26 of Acts 17. Paul writes and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being. How closer can 
God get them living in him and moving in him and having our being in him. God is close to us. And like God's transcendence is important to us, God's imminence is important to us for several reasons. And I think I've put three down on your sheet. And these are important because if we just had a transcendent God, then we would be in trouble. If we just had a God who was up there, which a lot of people think he is, just a God who's up there somewhere, then we would be in trouble. I'll grant them that. But we don't have that God. We have an imminent God. And because God is imminent, we can now know him. If he was transcendent, we would never get to know him. The Bible tells us that God has revealed himself to us. God has written himself into our lives, left his fingerprints in creation. For instance, as we look at the world God created, just by looking at the world we can know that God is wise and powerful, creative, orderly, just those things. Man's mucked it up a lot, but I'm talking about God's creation. We also learn from the fact that we have a conscience, an inbuilt sense of right and wrong. We have a standard of truth. Our sense of fairness and decency comes from somewhere. It comes from God. God reveals himself. But the main way that God reveals himself is through the Bible. God used the prophets to communicate his message. He revealed his character in the dealings with the Jews. But more importantly, as Jeff has shared with us at the communion table, he revealed himself more boldly in Jesus Christ. God became a man, lived on this earth for 32 years to teach us in words and concepts that we can understand. We can't understand the words and concepts of a transcendent God but God became man so that we could understand. We can know God. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is a, an example to us. God has made himself known through the creation, through our consciences, through the scriptures, but in these latter days through Jesus Christ. So God, because God is imminent, you can know him. And we have to thank God for that. Secondly, because God is imminent, we can not only know him, we can now have a relationship with him. Something you can't have with a transcendent God. God's not only concerned to tell us what he's like, he invites us to talk with him, to know him, to enjoy him, to dwell with him bodily. And so we ask the question, how in the world does a finite creature like man have a relationship with a transcendent God? How does a rebellious human being find acceptance from a holy, awesome, spectacular God? And the only answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to one, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You can now have a relationship with God. How do we have a relationship? Well, as verses told us, we're told that Jesus Christ 
is the only way to a relationship with God. There is no other way. There's one God, one mediator. And that's not, po- that's not popular in our day of religious tolerance. All, all roads lead to God is what you'll hear. The scriptures, God's word, the ancient words, the ancient of days tells me there is only one way. And we're not saying that this is the way because Jesus is our favourite. We're proclaiming that Jesus is the only mediator because he's the only one qualified to be the mediator. Paul tells us that. He gave his life as a ransom for all. When the perfect son of God gave his life as a substitute, he erected a bridge and I think pastor used the word, he erected a bridge that made it possible for us to know him and to enjoy a relationship with him. You see, Muhammad, he didn't give his life as a payment for sin and I'm pretty sure he didn't rise from the grave. The same is true of Buddha or Confucius or Joseph Smith or Mary Baker Eddy or L. Ron Hubbard. Any of those religious leaders did not die as a payment for sin and rise again. The only one who has given himself as a ransom, the only one that that rose to prove that the payment was acceptable is our own Lord Jesus Christ. But this relationship with God is only available to those who welcome Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and is only possible because he is imminent. Christ's sacrifice is applied to our rebellion, our failures, yes, all of them, only when we consciously receive what he has given to us. God is warning us about sin all our lives, but we ignore the warnings. We have justified and rationalised our sin. We have tried to to redefine what is good, But the waters keep rising so God provides a bridge. He provides a way of escape that we don't deserve, the grace that Pastor was talking about. He gave us the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for our stupidity and our rebellion. I wonder if you're sitting here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. My suggestion to you is to stop talking about it, stop debating and stop hiding and to do something about it. Just in the quietness of your, of your, of your chair, you don't have to make a, to come up, just in the quietness of your chair, you can ask the Lord to forgive. He's already done everything. All you've got to do is grab hold of that, that bridge, that ladder and you do this by an act of faith. In sincerity and in prayer you tell God that you cling to Christ alone for your hope of eternal life. There is no other hope. And I told you all that because since God is imminent we can have a relationship with him. Finally, because God is imminent you can not only have a relationship, you can not only know him, you can now depend on him and trust him. God is always available. He's always there when you need him. We can't say that about our friends and our family as much as we'd like to. Sometimes they're not home when you ring them up and really want to talk to them. Sometimes they're involved in something else and they can't get away. Sometimes they're on the internet 
We can't get hold of them. This will never happen with the Lord. In fact, you don't even need a telephone to glory. You can talk to him. And when we need God, and I will say in parentheses, which is all the time, he is there. He will never fail you because he is imminent. A God who just sits above the heavens would not be able to do that. You see, nations will crumble in this world. Financial reserves can disappear and we've all seen that in our lifetimes. Maybe in your own life. Health can be snatched away in a moment. Friends will disappoint but the Lord will never fail you. And maybe it's possible that you've forgotten this. You've forgotten about the imminence of God, how close he is to you, how much he wants you to know him. Maybe you've forgotten about this and now you're filled with anxious thoughts about the future or you're overwhelmed by what you're facing right now or maybe a financial need that threatens to take everything from you. Maybe your job or your schoolwork that seems to demand more than you can even give. Maybe it's moving to a new home. Whatever the mountain is that you are about to climb, you are not alone in God. God is near. God is imminent. God wants you to know him. He wants you to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ and he wants you to depend on him. Two words, transcendent and imminent. I want to close just by reading Isaiah again but reading a bit further on this time. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Have you not known... Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the I am, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? I can dare say now that you have known and you have heard from those two questions at the beginning of verse 28. His understanding is unsearchable. He is way above us. And verse 29 says, He gives power to the weak. He is imminent. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Our God is big. Wish I could sing that song for you. The Sunday school should come out and sing Our God is so big, so great and so awesome. I don't know, make up my own words. He is awesome. He is spectacular. He is beyond comprehension. His understanding is unsearchable. But if you have received his offer of salvation, and there's a little caveat there, you have to have received his offer of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ he is now very close to you in that relationship. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you cannot have a relationship with God. You cannot be in his presence. In that sense, he is up there. He is very close through his son, Jesus Christ. He is above us. He's great. He's awesome. His arms are strong. His heart is filled with love.
And I want to say thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself through your word. We thank you for the revelation through creation. We thank you through your revelation through the old time prophets and your scripture. But Lord, I guess I want to put at the pinnacle, I thank you for your revelation of yourself through Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. We thank you that you are above us. I thank you, Lord, that your ways are higher than mine and your thoughts way above what I could even think. You're, you are on a different plane than me. But Lord, you have given us the opportunity to know you, to worship you, to have a relationship with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. And all that we meant around the communion table. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. May we use what we learn to glorify you. And we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.